Good morning. As you can tell, we are talking about Pharaoh and the plagues this morning. My name is Melissa Shazer, and I'm one of the pastors here at Christ Presbyterian Church. Last week, John started us into a series on Moses that is going to carry us through the fall. And as he introduced the story of Moses, he talked about how Moses lived a life of transformation because he was able to be present and hear the voice of God speaking to him through the burning bush. This week, we learn what that call truly means, what it demands of Moses, and what we're going to find is that it is not Moses' perfect faith, it isn't his perfect trust. Moses actually fumbles quite a bit during this text but it is Moses' willingness to understand his identity as a child of God that allows him to show up and to follow through on the call that God has for his life. As we get started, one of the main things we need to know this morning is that Moses has an Egyptian name. If you'll remember, it was Pharaoh's daughter who found Moses in a basket in the reeds. She bent down and scooped him up. And so this Egyptian, Pharaoh's daughter, gave this little baby an Egyptian name. And it was a really popular name. There were a lot of Moseses running around in the ancient world. Moses' name means child of. It's almost a a partial name because then we have to ask the question, child of, of whom? (laughs) Who is this child? So what was really common in the ancient world is to actually put the name of the parent or the name of a god or someone who they really love before the name Moses. It's just like when we name our children after us. So as you can probably tell at this point, my husband and I are expecting in January, if we made the bold decision to name our child Moses, and we're not, but one of... <laughs> What we could do is name the child Nick Moses or Melissa Moses, child of Nick or child of Melissa, and then we would be naming our child after ourselves. Again, we're not doing that. But this was a very common practice, and what we find is that Moses, though he has this partial name, child of, God continually calls to him and shows him that he is a child of God. You can open up your Bibles if you would like. We are covering nine chapters this morning, so we are really getting into some text. Um, I will have our verses up on the screen so you can follow along that way too, but we're starting in Exodus 3 this morning. John read this passage last week. It's the call that God gives Moses in Exodus 3, verses 9 and 10. It says, and now behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppress them, the Israelites. Come, I will send you, Moses, to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Now, in this relationship between parent and child, father and son, I like to think that this phase is kind of Moses' toddlerhood, because after he receives this call, he starts asking why a lot. Five different times there are why, 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 why questions that come toward God, that Moses directs at God. He asks, what if they don't know my name? What if they don't listen to me? At one point, 
He says, But, O Lord, I am heavy of tongue and slow of speech, which is the most eloquent way that someone can say that I'm not good at talking. (laughs) He's making up excuses and pushing against this call. And finally, in Exodus 4, 13, he gets down to the point and just says, Please, my Lord, send someone else. Moses does not want to follow through on this calling. And what we see him do in this text What we realize is that we know that parents do extraordinary things for their children, but sometimes kids have to show up. We as children have to show up for our parents even when we're resisting it. There was a story that came to mind as I was thinking about this. A few years ago, I was down in Florida in August, and it was around the time of my dad's birthday. And he wanted to do something fun and different for his birthday, So he suggested that we go out to the Everglades and go on a fan boat ride to look at gators. Now, I am not really an outdoorsy person. I get hot and itchy, and I just, it's just not my thing. I'm just not an outdoorsy person. My husband and I actually made uh, an agreement before before we got married, we shook on it, that uh, we can never ask the other person to go camping. We're not outdoorsy people. My dad really wanted to go look at these gators despite it being August in Florida. So I found myself that day sitting on the back of a fan boat with probably not the best attitude, (laughs) but I still showed up and we went for a few hours looking at gators through the Everglades. I resisted it, but I still showed up because he's my dad and because you sometimes do things for your parents even when you don't want to. Moses still shows up, and there are reasons that he resisted his calling that God gave him. The two things that we need to know about Moses' calling in order for us to understand the plague text. The first is that the Israelites had been enslaved for 430 years at this point. That is a long time. If we go back 430 years from where we are today, it puts us in the late 1500s. So if you can imagine, the Israelites have been living in this system of enslavement for generation after generation after generation. And that didn't make it any easier on them. It was just as hard, but the system was set into place. It was going to be challenging for Moses to break in and change that system. So he understandably resisted it. The second thing we need to know is a little bit more about this Pharaoh character. Uh, Ramses 2020. Uh, the Pharaoh who was in, in power during Moses' time was named Ramses II. And the Pharaoh was not just a president or a prime minister. I think it's easy for us to think of the Pharaoh as being like one of our national leaders. But the Pharaoh had a lot more weight on his shoulders than one of our national leaders. The Pharaoh was understood to be the representation of the Egyptians' gods, of their god, here on earth. What we actually see in Ramses' name is that his name is made of two Egyptian words. That second word we should recognize as Moses. It's Ra, Moses. That is his name that is put together. Ramses is a child of Ra. Ra is the the chief god of the Egyptians. This was the god that the people who were enslaving the Israelites, they worshipped. 
They did not worship the God of the Israelites because those were the people who were enslaved. And what we ultimately have here then is we have the child of Ra, this other Egyptian god, going up against Moses, the child of God. And Moses finds his identity through the power that God gives him to free the Israelites. Just as a side note, when the Israelites, these slaves, would hear that Pharaoh's name, Ramses, Ra, when they would hear that name, Ra in Hebrew, in their language, means evil. So what they heard is child of evil every time they looked at that leader. They saw their oppressor and they knew what his character was like. So Moses goes into the first conversation with Pharaoh with some understandable trepidation. He knows that this is not just a matter of this world, but a matter of cosmic significance and that God is going to really need to show up if he is going to be able to free the Israelites. This first conversation that Moses has with Pharaoh, there isn't even mention of a plague. He doesn't threaten anything. There isn't much on the line. Moses simply asks Pharaoh to let the Israelites go. This is Exodus 5, verses 1 and 2. It says, Afterward, Moses and Aaron went and said to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Let my people go, that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. But Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord, that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, and moreover, I will not let Israel go. He's asking, Who is this God that you're talking about? He answers to different powers. After this encounter, we watch as Pharaoh digs his heels in. He digs them in deep, and this is a representation of what he will do before and during and after every single one of the plagues. Moses makes this call, this request, please let my people go. And Pharaoh says, no, I will not. After Moses makes this request and Pharaoh says no, Pharaoh actually makes the work of the Israelite slaves twice as hard. And Moses watches their oppression increase under the weight of what Moses had just asked of Pharaoh. And what we see happen in the relationship between Moses, this child, and his father, God, is that Moses is willing to be honest with God in a way that I think sometimes we are uncomfortable being. Moses in Exodus 5:22 calls God to account. This is what he says. Then Moses turned to the Lord and said, "O Lord, why have you done evil to this people? Why did you ever send me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people." and you have not delivered your people at all. Moses is willing to call God to account in a way that I think often we struggle to in the midst of so much tragedy and so much pain that has happened in this world in the last few months in particular, and then in our own lives where I know so many of us have felt loss in new ways. I've had conversations with person after person where we are willing to open up about the questions that we're asking about our faith. Why would God do this? Why is there such pain in the world? Why does suffering happen? We can talk to each other, but when it comes to asking those questions of God, we get nervous and worried that God will not respond to us with grace and with love. 
We can easily sugarcoat our relationship with God and show him all of the great things that he's doing, the really nice stuff and the easy stuff. But when it comes to bringing the hard stuff to God, what Moses shows us is that when we trust that God can handle our honesty, God can handle our hard questions, and when we bring them before God, he responds to us, not with anger and not with rejection, but with grace and with a renewed sense of calling. Moses walks out of this encounter with God with a new sense of commissioning and confidence that God is going to follow through on what he has commissioned him to do. As we move into these plague stories, we got to hear earlier how brutal some of them are. And it can be hard to wrap our minds around why these plagues happened, especially when we look at them individually. They they can even seem a little bit arbitrary, I think, like frogs. Why? Um, (laughs) They can seem just a little bit odd. So we are going to look at them as a whole. And the reason that these plagues happened, what we will continually come back to, the reason for them is found in Exodus 4.22. Thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son, and I say to you, let my son go, that he may serve me. Moses is a child of God, and Israel is God's firstborn son. And because of that, God is going to go to any length necessary to get his child out of slavery. We are going to look at these 10 plagues that take place. When I read that there were 10 plagues, that number triggers something for me in my mind. That number 10 first shows up in Genesis 1. What we have in Genesis 1 are 10 let there be statements. God says, let there be light. Let there be water. Let there be vegetation. Let there be, let there be. In the 10 plagues, we have God taking away each of those pieces of creation for the Egyptians. The Egyptians have used God's creation against the group that God loves so dearly. And because of that, God is willing to go to any length, even undoing creation, for their sake. We watch this play out in the first let there be statement. It's let there be light in Genesis 1. Genesis 1, 3, let there be light, and there was light, and God saw that the light was good. It should not shock us that in the first plague, we read in Exodus 10, there was pitch darkness in all the land of Egypt, a darkness to be felt. But in the homes of the Israelites, the lights stayed on. God creates this gift of light in the world, turns on the switch, And then he looks at the Egyptians and says, you have not let my people go. And he turns it off. Then we read, let there be, let the waters be gathered to create seas and rivers, pools of water, this gift that brings life to us and sustains life. And it shouldn't shock us that in one of the plagues, all the water in the Nile turns to blood It stinks and it's putrid. This gift that brings life turns into something that takes away life because they would not let the Israelites go. 
The third one, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed and trees bearing fruit. What is supposed to nurture us and feed us and sustain us? God then says that there, the hail strikes down every single plant of the field. And not only that, but God then sends locusts, and after the locusts descend upon the vegetation in Egypt, we read that not a green thing remained in all the land of Egypt. This gift of life and fruitfulness is taken away from the Egyptians because they will not let the Israelites go. This next one. Let the water teem with living creatures and birds fly across the sky, birds of the sea, or fish of the sea and birds of the air. These beautiful creatures. We read then two plagues. The Nile shall teem with frogs. They will get up into your homes and into your kneading bowls, your cookware. Starts to get a little grosser as we move into these last ones. They will get into your kitchens. They will fill your homes and your beds. And I will send swarms of flies on you and your servants. These beautiful fish of the sea and birds of the air that God made in Genesis 1 to fill the earth and bring life to it. God says to the Egyptians, if you do not let my people go, I will turn those fish and those birds into frogs and flies that will fill your home. God turns off that particular piece of creation. And then the second to last one, let the earth bring forth livestock and creeping things according to their kinds, cows and horses, barnyard animals, caterpillars and ladybugs. And then we read, the hand of the Lord will fall with a very severe plague upon the Egyptian livestock, not the Israelites, the Egyptian livestock. And And the dust of the earth may become lice in all the land of Egypt. Those creeping caterpillars that were supposed to be so sweet turn into lice that cover the homes. God is taking each piece of creation that he worked hard to produce. He spoke into existence for a reason. And he is saying to us, I will free my children. Give me anything and I will change it in order to rescue my people. We need to keep in mind at this point in the story why God is doing all of this. I think that what we see happen in our own lives often too is that we are willing maybe to take on more hurt ourselves. We're willing to defend ourselves less than we're willing to defend our own kids. When it comes to our children, there's a fierceness that can get stirred up in a new and different way. A story that came to mind while I was thinking about this dynamic. When I was in high school, I had uh, quite a few mean girls that I had to deal with. Um, They ran in a group, but there was one in particular who kind of led the group. And um, I was was a cheerleader with them, for better or for worse. So we had to kind of be in the same vicinity a decent amount. This one particular girl had been pretty brutal to me all year, and then one, at one point in the year, she got pretty vicious. She was being really mean, saying awful stuff, doing horrible things. And I told my mom all of the things that she was doing. I gave her the full story of all of the stuff that was happening. So one night, we were having a late night practice, 
And I told my mom, you know what, I'm gonna go in there and I'm gonna put on a smiley face and we are gonna pretend like this isn't happening. Because <laughs> I don't wanna talk about it and I don't wanna make a big deal about it. And so I got to the practice and I put on that smiley face, showed her the love of Jesus and we bopped around and everything was fine. My mom was helping at the practice though. So partway through the practice, me and this other girl are pretending like everything's fine, and then she goes bouncing over to my mom and says, hi, Mrs. Reginelli, can you help me with <laughs> And my mom looks at her and said, oh, honey, I'm sorry. I'm not as nice as my daughter. <laughs> There's a fierceness from parents that rises up. We want to defend our kids often more than we even want to defend ourselves. And that's what we see God doing here. God knew that Pharaoh was never going to let the Israelites go unless he changed every single piece of this creation. As we prepare for this final plague, Moses went to the Israelites and told them exactly what they needed to do. And Moses gave Pharaoh the most preparation for it, saying, let us go or else this plague of the firstborn is going to happen. And Moses and Pharaoh sunk his heels in deep. So on the night of this plague, the Israelites took the blood of a lamb and put it on their door frames and the Spirit of God passed through the city. This is how we have the celebration of Passover. Because in this moment, God takes his gem of creation, the thing that he loved the most and cherished the most, and he takes it away. In Genesis 1:26, we read, Then God said, Let us make human beings in our image after our likeness. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. It was very good. These firstborn of creation were very good. In Exodus 12, 29, at midnight the Lord struck down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on his throne to the firstborn of the captive who was in the dungeon and all the firstborn of the livestock. And Pharaoh rose up in the night, he and all his servants and all the Egyptians, and there was a great cry in Egypt, for there was not a house where someone was not dead. And then he summoned Moses and Aaron by night and said, up, go out from among my people, both you and the people of Israel, and go. Serve the Lord as you have said. This was the answer that Moses and God had wanted from the very beginning. But it took tragedy and devastation in order to get there. God knew that Pharaoh was not going to let them, let them go easily. He knew that Pharaoh was against the freedom of God's own child. And so the undoing of creation, God fills this world with beauty and then takes it away. And in doing that, he shows that he will go to any means possible to ensure that his children are free. A friend sent me this quote earlier this week. She said, it's a quote by Nicholas Wolterstorff, who said, faith 
is a footbridge that you don't know will hold you up over the chasm until you are forced to walk out on it. As Moses watched these plagues unfolding, he showed up with his faith, and he did not know if it would hold him up. But over and over again, God walks with him and carries him. So Moses continues to show up and continues to do what God calls him to do. What we learn here is that we don't have to be perfect. We don't have to have an unwavering trust or a perfect faith. What God calls us to is to know that we are children of God and that God will go to any length for his children. God has chosen us because of his deep, deep love for us. And God is willing to sacrifice anything for us. It should not surprise us that this is the same God who hundreds of years after freeing the Israelites from the Egyptian slavery, this is the same God who was willing to take on the form of a human being, to come to earth, to be, to be the sacrifice that every single one of us needs in order to live in freedom from the bondage of sin. We need this freedom in a way, and God is willing to do anything and showed us that when he became flesh and dwelt among us. Philippians 2, verses 6 through 8, say that it is Christ Jesus who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. God fills creation and is willing to empty it if it means that he can free his children. God takes on the form of a human, shows us what it means to be a disciple and to love your neighbor and to be here and with him. And then he takes on the cross and empties himself. God does not want us to live in the bondage of sin, but he wants us to live in freedom as children of God. We are meant to live into this identity, and it is not about having the perfect answers, and it is not about having blind confidence, but it is about showing up in our honesty, in our hard times, being willing to bring all of ourselves before the feet of God because we know that we are his children. When we understand that it is not about what we do, but about who we are, we can faithfully listen to the call of God and become a vessel for his freedom in this world. Will you pray with me? Holy and heavenly God, Lord, you call us to freedom. You are willing to move mountains to do anything to get us to live in the light that you offer us. And Lord, we pray today that anything that feels as though it's binding, that it's holding us back from living as disciples of yours, God, that we would be freed from that. Lord, we praise you for being a God who calls us his children 
And we ask, God, that we would learn in new ways what it means for us to draw closer and closer to you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.